Hello and welcome in to the second edition of the Fantasy Hockey Podcast coming at you with our first round NHL playoff reaction and our second round preview. Eric, your second appearance on the podcast, I guess third overall, second as a host. You want to uh, say hi to the people for us? How's it going, fellas? Get excited. Round two is underway. It's going to be good hockey. Yeah, the first round was really awesome this year. Uh, no sweet, one of the best in memory. Series, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of upsets, a lot of really good series. Only one five-game series out of eight, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. So seven, six or seven gamers, which means a whole lot of hockey, more for us to watch, which we like. Um, we are going to break down each first round series, probably focusing more on the team that got knocked out, uh, because we will obviously talk about all the teams that won in our second round preview. So we won't want to uh, repeat ourselves too much. Um, Eric, let's go ahead and jump into it. We got a decent amount to get into. We're going to go Western conference, then Eastern conference. I'm going to start with least compelling and go to most compelling. So it is my, uh, biased judgment here that we're going off of. We'll start with the only five-game series of the first round. That was Winnipeg versus Vegas. Vegas takes it in five games. Eric, uh, this one actually mirrored exactly their 2018 uh, Western Conference Final. Winnipeg won the first game pretty handily. Both times, Vegas took the next four in both series. So pretty interesting that it uh, followed suit there. My stat of the series, Winnipeg has lost 11 straight home playoff games, Eric, in Winnipeg. That is unbelievable uh, they did actually they have a really two. good barn like they go and yeah play. exactly the that, that should yeah. tell you these days home advantage oh uh, home ice advantage does not mean too much uh especially this playoff run i mean away teams are something ridiculous yeah. like 30 and 20 so far it's pretty insane but uh, 11 straight home playoff games in winnipeg pretty uh pretty miraculous they did actually win two during the 2020 uh bubble season at home in the playoffs quote unquote uh those games were all in you know, one arena in Edmonton, I believe. So not, uh, no, I didn't want to count that. I, I think in Winnipeg, it's really what we're looking yeah. at. Eric, give me your notes on this series. Uh, I think it starts and ends with Connor Hellebuck. It was one and four in the series, had a three, four, four goals against with a 0.886 save percentage. And that's about an entire goal more than he allowed in the regular season. And his save percentage is almost, he had a 920 in the regular season down to an 886, which I think league average this year was around 900, so he went from being an elite goalie to being pretty subpar during the playoffs, which I don't think it's all on his shoulders. I think the Josh Morrissey injury really crippled that defensive core. He's one of the more balanced guys they have. He was an absolute monster for him all season. And then really the guy that ate up a lot of those minutes is Neil Pionk, and he just doesn't bring the same kind of quality defense that Josh Morrissey had. Yeah, we talked about this before uh, the series began. We kind of said Hellebuck has to steal this one for them to a degree, or at least you know play above average. Yeah, he's got to games to steal uh, at least one or two games, and he, he exactly. wasn't able to do it. Yeah. And he was not able to do that after game one. And then Josh Morrissey. The other part uh, of this that we brought up about Winnipeg is that they're pretty top heavy when it comes to talent, both on defense and offense, really. And um, yeah, Morrissey going down really hurt them. They did not have room to lose one of their four or five, uh, you know, good skaters. So that was a really tough blow for them. Uh, do you think the Jets blow it up this offseason, Eric? What uh, what do you project their outlook to look like? I feel like they almost have to, especially if you heard the uh, like end of season interviews from the team and the coach. Oh. 
Ramonis laid into his guys, and then I don't know if you saw Blake Wheeler's response to that, but basically took zero accountability and was like, we could have handled that in the room. It's like, well, it's been happening since January. I assume he tried to handle it in the room, but... Yeah, it. I don't. I'm really glad you brought that up because this was actually this was pretty wild. A lot of times, NHL coaches, as most uh, coaches in most sports do, they're they really speak in you know uncertain terms yeah. about a lot of things. They they find ways to say things without really saying anything at all. You know, they might imply, oh, you know, I don't really think this guy played very well, but they're never going to call anybody out publicly. Basically, Winnipeg Jets coach Rick Bonus said, "My stars sucked." And his stars his were quotes good. were, his big quotes were, we had no pushback and the other team's stars were vastly superior to ours. Like that's, that's pretty damning quotes <laughs> about your time. Very like, incendiary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it made no bones about it. I, I kind of respect that at the end of the day. I mean, maybe. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you it's kind of been a thing more. around this team too. Like you had Shifley's interview at the end of last year. He was talking about who he wasn't sure if he was going to be back. It's like, well, I mean. You're not exactly part of the solution here in Winnipeg, so I don't know. It's, yeah. it's going to be and, a uh, for them for sure. Their GM came out about a day after the interview and said, "Yeah, he stood behind. Bonnet. Is staying on exactly." So that tells you where management is at. You, we should uh, expect major, major shakeups there. I think uh, they have some pretty good high end talent on some bigger contracts, but no one that'll be too tough to move. So they should be able to make some uh, some changes pretty easily without having to, you know, totally mortgage the future. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and move on to Minnesota versus Dallas. That was another six gamer in the Western conference. Dallas ended up taking this one four to two. Uh, we both picked the stars before the series. Uh, I think their depth ended up kind of winning out here. Uh, it was disappointing because the first four games of this series went back and forth. Both teams were playing pretty well. Could have been, could have been either way, but Minnesota really folded in the last two games. So, uh, give me your uh, general thoughts on the series. Is a really violent series, which I liked. I always love it when these playoff games get physical. Um, I didn't expect it so much, which is weird because, I mean, looking back at it, both of these teams are grinded out kind of teams. Dallas has always been kind of that kind of wear you down, hit you with some big bodies. Captain Jamie Ben first and foremost. And then Minnesota is really kind of built into that kind of uh, mold since the Parise and Suter buyouts. Um one thing I did want to all this off season too. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's actually those buyouts really. I think put the hamper on this team that doesn't allow them to have the depth scoring to keep up with a team like Dallas. Whereas Dallas, if they did have a guy like Fiala, they could have re-signed him this off season. They were able to weaponize some of their cap space at the deadline, bringing a guy like Max Domi, and uh, that really Minnesota didn't have an opportunity to do that. And I think their top-end talent really ended up letting him down. Your stat of the series here says uh, Kaprizov, Zuccarello, and Boldy combined for six or three goals and six assists compared to Rupe Hintz by himself who had five goals and seven assists. And I think when you look at that production, you can't really expect Minnesota to win that series. Yeah, the Wild had four forwards above 60 points in the regular season. Uh, I'd say 60 points is a decent marker for a solid top six forward. Anything under that uh, is you know, slightly disappointing from that end. So they had four really solid offensive forwards. One of them was injured, and the other three were the ones Eric named, uh, Kaprizov, Zuccarello, and Boldy. So very disappointing effort from them. And uh, our, uh, our analysis before the series mentioned that we thought Dallas had better depth um, the but you know the top end talent was pretty similar, but the depth was better on Dallas, and that 
that certainly played itself out as well as Dallas's players, you know, at the top showing up yeah. a little bit more too. So those two things combined really doomed them at the end of the day. Uh, where do you see the wild going forward from here? I know you kind of mentioned their cap situation, but if you could kind of uh, elaborate on that to a, a slight more degree here, they have almost $15 million in dead cap for, I think it's next year. And then it goes down a little bit the year after that, but they still have some pretty hefty cap penalties. And years, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of Bill Guerin's press conference the other day, but um, one of the reporters, Michael Russo, yeah, asked him just straight up, like, how do you build through these circumstances? And it's really not on uh, Bill Guerin's shoulders, he's their GM, Um, but he did inherit this situation. I thought he did a pretty good job at the deadline this year to weaponize what cap space they did have. But going forward, they're going to have to re-sign some of these young guys like Boldy, like Kalen Addison. And I really, I don't think that they're going to be able to continue to put together really strong seasons in the Western Conference. I think they're kind of on the downhill slide where you have some young teams in the West that are coming up. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned it uh, at the beginning there, $15 million off the cap in the NHL. For those of you who are not familiar with the NHL and just their cap situation in general, uh, it's, not to, it's not like football or the NBA or anything close to that as far as where their ceiling is at. Uh, the NFL, I believe, is around $300 million right now. So $15 million is, you know, what percentage? 5% of your cap. Uh, the NHL is 80 81 million. So 15 million off your cap is a tremendous amount. It's uh, the the best players in the NHL get paid 12 or 13 million a season. So yeah, uh, yeah, operating with, uh, you know, your, your left arm tied behind your back, so to speak as the wild is really, really tough. And I think, yeah, the next two years are going to be probably more of the same for them. I think this year they, they overachieved honestly. And still absolutely. I agree. hundred percent came up short in the first round. Yeah, so a couple more tough years for them, but they do have a great prospect system, so should be on the upturn after that. Let's go ahead and move on to the Kings and the Oilers. This was Eric's favorite series, and honestly, maybe my favorite series just to watch as well. Really, really entertaining hockey all around. Eric called it. Uh, The only problem with this one is it didn't go seven, uh, and that was really no fault of either team. Just one of the one-goal games went to the Oilers at the, the end there. So, Eric, give me your thoughts. Uh, the series really swung in Game 4. I think Edmonton had built a 3-4-1 or lead, and then they ended up blowing that game and losing in overtime. And I think it really kind of crushed a little bit of their confidence. If you look at Corpusalo, their goalie stats for Games 1 through 3, he had a save percentage over 9-10, which, like we said, that's pretty elite goaltending given where stats were around the league this year. And then mm-hmm. on the back end of that series, Games 4 through 6, he had a save percentage under .885, which is fairly heavily below average, and you're not not going to be able to beat the Oilers team that can generate so many scoring chances with that kind of goaltending. Yeah, uh, my stat of the series kind of illustrates that point. Edmonton, their power play percentage, a video game like 56.3%. They went 9 of 16. Again, for those of you not quite familiar with the NHL and uh, kind of where these things live normally, Uh, A good power play converts around 22, 23%. You know, I think the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs had the second best power play this year at 25%. So that should give you an idea of how elite 56.3 was. Edmonton during the year was at 32. They actually set a modern record. So not surprised that they uh, performed the way they did. 
Um, yeah, their best players showed up when they needed them to. And like you said, they kind of dug themselves out of that early hole uh, in game four, down 2-1, down 3-0 in the game. Really impressive stuff. Yeah, uh, should, be, uh, should be a really entertaining series with Vegas with them next round. But the Kings, uh, I think we probably have the most positive outlook on them moving forward out of the teams yeah. we've talked about so far. What do you think? I agree. I think they have the most, maybe not the most, like, quality of young talent but their most quantity of young talent i think they have some of the highest quality though i think quinn byfield is right on the edge of taking that next step and really becoming an elite forward they have other guys that are going to be great role players and they even have some guys that aren't in their lineup yet that they can inject a guy like brant clark who's been just absolutely heartthrobbing all of the la kings fans this year he was an absolute monster in junior hockey they can't wait to get him in their lineup um they got some young forwards as well they got uh Oh my gosh, what's his name? Gabe Velarde had a great series against Edmonton this yep. year, but I think up. once they start taking those next steps, even some of their other young guys on their third and fourth lines, I like Carl Grundstrom as a player, especially in a depth role. He's physical and he has decent amounts of speed and skill, so I think they have a really bright future going forward. Their cap situation's looking pretty good. I think the biggest issue for them going forward is going to be goaltending. They had Al yeah, Peterson, his extension, is, I don't know if it kicked in last year, but he, he's making $5 million for far too long, especially considering... Start he, for their minor league team. Yeah, exactly. He was demoted to the minors, so that's that's going to be an anchor for them. They're going to need to figure out what they're going to do in net going forward, but if they can get that figured out, if they can manage to bring back Corpusalo on a reasonable deal and he can produce for them, I think they have a really bright future going forward. Yeah, like you said it, uh, goaltending moving forward, finding somebody that can stabilize the uh, the situation in net for them, and then uh, one or two of those high-level prospects that they have plenty of evolving into top-tier NHL talent will really yeah. uh, unlock this team, and they'll probably be uh, in a good position for the next couple of years. Let's um, go ahead and jump over to the last series here in the West. This one uh, got my most interesting rating, basically because of the, uh, the polarizing nature of the huge upset here. That's Colorado versus Seattle. The Kraken, surprise everyone, take this in seven games on the road in Colorado. They win uh, two out of three games in the series, or I guess uh, two out of four games, or three out of four games in the series they won in Colorado. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They won one, five, and seven. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, my stat of the series, this is this one's probably my favorite stat that I have so far tonight and maybe uh, all night, but that is Seattle scored the first goal in all seven games of the series. That's pretty crazy. That is the first time this has happened in a seven-game series since 2004. Ironically, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the one to, uh, to pull that off. But, Eric, uh, give me your thoughts on this series. Uh, I had one thing that kind of goes along with that. Seattle had 15 different players score a goal and 18 with at least a point. Um, those are pretty unbelievable numbers. To have 15 different players in your lineup produce a goal during a seven-game series, that's going to be really hard to slow down. When you can come in waves and any players you put on the ice can be a threat to score, that's really tough to deal with in the playoffs, and I think it can take them a long way. And kind of going to that same point, the Avs, they dealt with way too many injuries. They don't have the same team depth, especially up the middle after losing Nazem Kadri last offseason. Um Dealing with the Gabe Landeskog injury, obviously, I don't think they were able to recover from that, really. And then the Kale McCarr suspension, just a stupid hit, just a terrible play on his part. And it cost him game six, in my opinion. I think if he was in that game, they have a good chance to win it. But 
game five. But yes, yeah. yes, you're yeah. right. hundred yeah. percent, uh, really stupid hit on his part. Uh, really no excuse for it at all. Um, just was not paying enough attention to notice that the puck was out of play when he hits a player into the boards, Jared McCann, that is still injured. So uh, definitely, you know, laid the wood there after the whistle. And uh, I totally agree with you. Colorado's uh, lack of depth really caught up with them. This is kind of the classic story of Stanley Cup. Yeah. Uh, you know, Stanley Cup runs is your depth gets thinned out. Then, you know, your top players have played a lot of hockey in the past year. They start to get injured and it really becomes tough. That's why repeating in the NHL is so difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what makes the uh, the Lightning's dynasty the past few years so impressive. But. Yeah, the Avalanche got caught here by a team that kind of matched up with them really well at the end of the day. I think the key was Philip Philip Grubauer, though, in my yeah, opinion, yeah. stepping up, playing, uh, you know, playing like him, his peak form self. I think he's been pretty pretty bipolar in his career as far as his stats have gone. He's yeah, been I mean, up and down. He lost the starting job last year, and, and yeah, um, I don't even know if the he Avalanche their starter starter this year for most of the season either. He was the Avalanche's starter for a couple of years before they won the cup and they kind of decided to move on from him. So that should tell yeah. you a really good team like the Avalanche basically just let him go. But And before uh, that, yeah, he was, he was great in this Washington too. Yeah. Uh, so he's been he's been up and down in his career, but he played a great seven games here and game seven especially. He yeah, really, he's, uh, really he's stole really, it. really, really good. Yeah, super impressed with Seattle there. Uh, their next round against Dallas should be super, super uh, interesting because they are up 1-0. Especially as given that game. Alert. What a series that's going to be. Yeah, I think the Avalanche will be fine moving forward, though, Eric. Their top yeah. end talent oh, yeah. is so good. And they still have they just so need many young studs. I mean, I could see Alex Newhook really growing into that second-line center role. Bowen Byram is just an absolute monster. I'm never going to not be bitter that the Hawks took Kirby Doc instead of him. But I guess we got to move on at some point, so it is what it is. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you have. No, I haven't. Right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they'll be fine moving forward. Honestly, if you're a Colorado fan, this uh, this probably stings right now, but you will be just fine. You have a lot of very good young players, and uh, your depth will most likely improve once uh, some of these tougher contracts come off the books. Although Nathan uh, McKinnon's extension's kicking in, too. It's going to be tough to keep their depth coming in when McKinnon's making that much money. That's true. Uh, we'll see how they deal with it. Uh, maybe some better injury luck will serve yeah, them well. Yeah, that's what uh, they really got to rely on. Yeah. Eastern Conference, Eric. Uh, my first series, regrettably my first series, lots of really good hockey in the East in the first round. So to be uh, coming in fourth. Yeah, it really, it really was. It, it, it lived up to expectations and then some, honestly. But uh, the Islanders and the Hurricanes uh, are my least entertaining series in the East. Uh, not really a uh, you know a diss on them. This is exactly sort of what we expected going in. Some low scoring games for the most part. Carolina takes it in six. Really close hockey though. Uh, my stat of the series: the Islanders outscored the Hurricanes thirteen to ten at five on five. I think that should just help illustrate how uh, back and forth yeah. these games were. Carolina won both of the games that went to overtime. Very notoriously coin flippy games there. So Eric, uh, let me uh, let me hear your thoughts on the series. I thought Brent Burns had a really great series. Uh, he had five assists in six games, but he had 27 shots, which was the most in the series. Uh, following him up was Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes with 19. And then the leader from the Islanders' end was uh, Bo Horvat, I think, had 16. So when you're looking at that kind of shot production coming out of your top end, guys, it's going to be tough. I mean, Sorokin is an incredible goalie, but when you're getting peppered like that, it's going to be tough to hang around, and especially given the... Uh, offensive struggles the Islanders have dealt with the past few years. Once they go down, it's really tough for them to battle back in. 
Um, I think they're also... You can go. Go ahead, Art. I was going to say, I think they're also a pretty good contender to maybe go through a little bit of a blow-up this offseason. It's going to be harder for them than Winnipeg, in my opinion. A lot of their good players that are making some money are on the wrong side of 30, whereas Winnipeg, they have more assets that are kind of in the prime of their careers. Um, The real anchors for uh, the Islanders, I think, are in their bottom six. You got a guy, Cody or Casey Sezikis, you got Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin, all 32, 33, and 35. And on the books for next year, it's, it's going to be tough for them to continue to replenish their middle six and their top six when you have these guys that are in your bottom six taking up decent sections of your cap. Yeah, you kind of laid out the point I was going to make anyway. I think their next couple of years are going to be tough. They don't have uh, you know, a great farm system, mm-hmm. don't have a ton of top-end talent on the way up here, and they traded their first-round pick this year uh, for Bo Horvat from the Vancouver Canucks. So they don't have much in the way of reinforcements on the way, and they don't have a ton of players that you could – you know, even talk yourself into becoming solid first line assets that they really need. They just don't have the scoring punch necessary to yeah. pull series off in the playoffs consistently. They did it for a couple years on the back of just really, really good team defense and, you know, a couple guys that have just gotten a little older and have taken yeah. steps back and the team defense kind of went along with it. So I mean one of their good players in those playoff runs was Josh Bailey and he was a healthy scratch exactly. in all six games this year. So yeah, he has uh, really regressed pretty pretty uh, horribly the past year or two. Sort of just speaking to the point that they uh, they have aged out to a, yeah. a large degree. Uh, Matt Barzal is really the only guy that's a fixture in their top six that's yeah. on the uh, possible ascension. But tough couple years for the Islanders coming up, most likely. Uh, they, they may need to enter a rebuild. Lula Murillo doing some great work there as GM of the Islanders. Um, we'll get to the Hurricanes again when we talk about the uh, the Devils series a little later on. Not to spoil anything, but my next series, Rangers versus the New Jersey Devils. The Devils pulled this one off in seven, Eric. Finally, one that I got right that you got wrong. I always loved that. It was bold. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just going to throw it to you, Eric. Uh, tell me about why I was right in this series. Uh, because New York's top-end players didn't show up. <laughs> Basically, I mean, outside of Chris Kreider. Um, but Artemi Panarin, no goals, two assists in seven games. Ugh. That's just straight up not Ugh. good enough. You like that best bet, Artemi Panarin, to lead the, the lead the series in points? Really hard there, huh? And then you got uh, first overall pick, Alexis Lafreniere, zero points and only nine shots in seven games. You got to wonder if they're going to try and move on from this kid this offseason, but you're selling so low on a guy that had so much potential. I can't imagine they trade him and win that trade if they do move him. Then you got no Jacob Truba, also zero points in seven games. He's not really known as the point producer, but he did lay some big hits in this series, but I think they needed more out of him, especially in the offensive zone. Uh Adam Fox was really the only productive defenseman they had. Um, The New York Rangers, they also had the highest save percentage in the first round. Shesterkin gave them great, great goaltending, and they still just could not pull through. They couldn't give them any goal support, especially later on in that series. Um, I think the league should be pretty scared at how fast the Devils were able to adapt playoff hockey. They really got bullied in games one and two, and they picked up their game a lot towards the end of that series. 
Yeah, games one and two at home. So being yeah. down 2-0 uh, going on the road is always... In the Madison uh, Square Garden, not an easy place to play. Yeah, most most of the time a death sentence, especially for really young teams. Yes, like yes. Devils, but they, uh, they absolutely turned it around. Full credit to them. Akira Schmid, their goalie that came in to back up their normal starter, that is Vitek Vanacek, Akira Schmid in the series. Four and one, a nine fifty one save percentage. Again, we said nine hundred is average in the NHL these days in this higher scoring environment. So nine fifty one save percentage over five games, a one three eight goals allowed average, one point three eight per game. Incredible, and then two shutouts. Yeah, so one of which was in game seven. That's yeah. And then you alluded to this earlier, but my stat of the series uh, concerns the Rangers. Chris Kreider and Vladimir Tarasenko scored nine goals. Those are two of their top scoring forwards, so that's good. But everybody else in the lineup, again, 18 skaters on a hockey team, so 16 different guys, eight goals all together between uh, the rest of them. That is, uh, that's just not good enough. You need your depth to to help you out a little more than that. Absolutely. I think uh, this playoff series also might have been a nail in the coffin for Gerard Gallant as the Rangers head coach. I think Lindy Ruff really just outclassed him in just about every way he could coaching in this series. And then another guy that's got very testy with the media when his uh, job security was tested. I believe that was actually, it might've been today uh, because I saw a lot of, a lot about that on NHL Twitter, but uh, he was, you know, basically offended that anybody would even question uh, his job at this point. And (laughs) I mean, you know, he's got a lot of talent, so I, I I, I don't love that response from him. Yeah. I was going to say he, got pretty heavily out coached by John Cooper last year when they got eliminated in my opinion and then same thing happened this year in a seven game series against the Devils it's a lot easier to forgive the seven game defeat against the Tampa Bay Lightning coming off of back-to-back Stanley Cups when you're comparing against the Devils who were a lottery team last year and then they come in make a huge jump in the regular season had a great season but then it's a lot of these young kids first taste the playoffs and you, you can't manage to get one over on them. It's, that's not a good look for a veteran coach with a veteran team like that. Yeah. I think that is, like you said, a really tough look because if you're the Rangers, it's really hard to imagine that, you know, roll, roll this over next year and say you're playing the devils again in the first round. What are the odds that your team has gotten better and their team has gotten worse? Yeah. Uh, Not very much unless there's a lot of injuries on one side and not a lot on the other. Um, these Devils are only going to get better, and these Rangers are mostly either at their peak or older. They're they're uh, kind of stuck where they are too, because they're they're not going to be able to get out of any of these contracts for those older players like Kreider, Panarin, Zibanejad, and uh, Truba. All of term left on their deals. Some of their younger players are coming up, but like I think the only younger player they have to term right now is Adam Fox. So when or I guess Heedle's contract kicks in next year too, but when you got to pay. I mean, you're hoping that Capo, Caco, and Laffy take those next steps, but if they take those next steps, you got to pay them. So that's going to be an issue with these big guys that you have up front that are making so much money. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there at the end there. That's what I was going to bring up. I think this this Rangers team really hitched their wagon to their two top three picks, Caco and uh, Alexi Lafreniere, they said. We're yeah. counting on these guys to develop into stars. Superstars, yeah, and they just fill out the lineup, and they just really haven't done it. Um, they're still young, but in hockey terms, you know, 22, 23 is not as young as it is in maybe some other sports. Yeah. There are plenty of, uh, you know, 20 year olds, 21 year olds that are 
know, playing really high level hockey. So I think you peak a little sooner uh, than you do in most sports, just so the casual fan can uh, maybe pick up on that a little better. But um, do you have anything else you want to add on the Rangers before we move on here? I think I'm good. All righty. Tampa Bay versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Most years, Toronto, the the hub of the NHL in a lot of ways as far as uh, fan interest goes. But uh, if they end a 20-year playoff drought, it's usually going to be the most you know interesting series out of the four in the East, but this year was a special year, so it ends up at number two. Toronto took this one finally in six games over the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. As uh, yes, Eric, yours truly. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Eric, uh, shout out. He did give Leafs in six as his prop bet, so if you followed him, uh, you were – in the money there. I think you actually nailed two of your other props. Uh, we forgot to mention it earlier, but Minnesota oh, yep. and Dallas, you had anytime hat trick, you nailed that one. And then, uh, you had nights in five as well. So props to you, Eric, if you would have, uh, if you would have gone with all of his picks, you would be in the money pretty clearly. But, um, Eric, just give me your, your general thoughts on the series. Uh, for starters, I think the series MVP has to be Mitch Marner. He was an absolute monster, all series in all situations. He was dynamite on the penalty kill for him. He was dynamite on the power play. Um, Some stats just with Mitch Marner versus without Mitch Marner for the Leafs. At 5-on-5, the Leafs outscored the Lightning 8-1 to with Mitch Marner on the ice. When he was not on the ice, they were outscored 14-6. to Then we got an 14-6 compared to 8-1. to That's pretty wild. And then for expected goals for, which is a fancy way of saying we would expect you to score this percentage of the goals if this is done by average players throughout the season, basically. So when Mitch Marner was on the ice, they were expected to score 62.8% of goals. When he was not on the ice, they were expected to score 42.6% of goals. So that really just shows like when he was on the ice, they were dominating play, getting nearly two-thirds of the chances. And then when he came off the ice... They, they weren't getting as dominated as they were when he was on the ice, but they were certainly getting outplayed. And I think you could really see that in the series. Um, Toronto battled back in a lot of these games, which is something they haven't showed in the past, but I, I think Mitch Marner is really the one who took the biggest step. And I should say Morgan Riley, too, had an outstanding series. He had eight points in seven games, only one point on the power play, so seven points at even strength is just outstanding for a defenseman like him. Um, some of the Tampa guys, though, uh, Braden Point yeah, and Nikita Kucherov, neither of them had a goal in the series. They both only had two assists, and neither of Braden Point's assists were primary assists. They both had expected goals for under 50%, which I have to imagine this is the give first Toronto series. Credit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Give Toronto a lot of credit for being able to hold these guys in check. And I think a big reason they were able to was some of the deadline acquisitions they brought in. Uh, TJ Brody and Jake McCabe got a lot of ice time against that top pair. And then obviously Ryan O'Reilly got a bunch of matchups against them as well. And I think it really yeah, he paid was off great. for him. He looked, uh, he looked fantastic in the series, I yeah. thought. So really good pickup for them. Fits, the, fits this team really well. But uh, yeah, you said it. They, uh, they ended up getting some bounces in this series that they just really have not gotten in any of their playoff runs recently. Uh, they won all three overtime games, uh, all three on the road, too. So they yeah. played three road games in Tampa, won all of them, won all of them in OT. That I don't know I don't know how many times that's happened, but I can't imagine it's very often. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. 
Um, and the away teams went five and one in this series, Eric, pretty, uh, pretty miraculous across the board. Again, we yeah. see that the away teams were doing pretty well in this playoff, especially in this series. Winning game um, one was the yeah. kiss of death in this round. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It's, uh, it's very atypical, but it was, uh, so congrats to Toronto. Yeah, they finally did it again. We'll get to their series against the, uh, the Panthers next, uh, again, not to bury the lead, but the last series on the books here for the first round. Boston versus the uh, Florida Panthers. The Panthers end up winning this one in seven, possibly one of the biggest upsets in NHL history and uh, coming back down from 3-1 in the series to do it. Really impressive stuff. Uh, Eric, just go ahead and uh, give me your thoughts. Uh, First of all, give me all the sad Brad Marchand memes. I love them. I've been (laughs) thriving on them the past couple of days. Um, The nacho year with him on the bag of Doritos. I love it. Um, Never gets old. The first thing that really jumped out to me in this series is throughout the entire year, Boston basically alternated starts between Olmark and Swayman. And at the beginning of the series, Swayman was hurt, so they didn't want to go back to him. That makes sense. However, in games, I think it was four and five, Olmark really struggled, and I think they had an opportunity to go to Swayman earlier, and I really think they should have, because when you roll with one goalie for games one through six, and then you throw your other goalie to the Wolves in game seven... Like, it had been almost two weeks since Swayman, probably even longer than two weeks since Swayman had started a game since he was injured. I don't, I just think that was a recipe for disaster, especially going into game seven. And they got some good performances out of their guys in game seven. David Pasternak had a great game seven. Um, but at the end of the day, Florida wanted it more. Yeah, they, the the Boston Bruins were were packed into a little bit of a corner here with the Olmark and Swayman situation. You alluded to it. A lot of people upset about that. Uh, it was kind of a tough a tough situation for them because Olmark ended up being injured, I believe. So he was after Game Six probably too injured to even continue. So they sort of were forced into going with Swayman in Game Seven. Obviously, that wasn't ideal. You don't want to start a goalie again first time in two weeks. Pretty cold at that point, probably uh, in the game you need to win at the end of the day but yeah uh they tried to get that last game out of Olmark. they didn't want to change the you know the momentum in the series but they they probably should have gone to swayman earlier like you said uh pretty incredible stuff though all around florida gets full props they really hung with the bruins again just like this uh the kraken and avalanche series they did not steal these games they yeah. there was not like you know, there wasn't, oh, they won three overtime games, and then the Bruins blew them out three times, and then they won a one-goal game. Like, yeah, the, the no, Bruins, they were all, uh, the all hard-fought hockey they played, stuff, yeah. Right, they played them up. They played them really well, really even. Um, you know, even the, the advanced stats tell you that as well. So just full props to them. They they showed up, and the Bruins, you could kind of tell, in games six and seven were really gripping their sticks pretty tight. Yeah, one other thing. Uh, the 43-point difference between these teams is the biggest regular season uh, gap that has been like it's the biggest upset in playoff history for the NHL, and I believe before that it was set just a few years earlier when Columbus beat Tampa Bay. But no, uh, no, yeah, these days, in the NHL these days. That's that's my favorite thing about the NHL. Honestly, is the uh, is the parody. Yeah. I, I just I really like that compared to other sports where even basketball, <laughs> basketball. this year I'll give some credit. Yeah, there's it's... actually been some decent parody. There was an eight seed that won Miami, uh, but. In general, the the better teams win, you know, a lot more often in the uh, the basketball, especially the playoff time, uh, than than the NHL. It's very unpredictable. You can really you can make a run as a seven or eight seed in the NHL playoffs, not as much as you uh, as you can in other sports. Can I uh, can I interject um, and, a thought here, real quick? 
Please, yeah. Awesome. Let me let me just throw out there. I feel like just going off what Eric's thoughts. I think we can all agree. Just when you see Boston lose in any kind of sports series, there's just always it's a nice, fantastic. It is a wonderful. nice little feeling in on the inside, especially hockey. I know the the blue. We still might get a championship this year, though, which is the most upsetting part. We need the Celtics to get eliminated. Yeah, the, th- the thing is with the Celtics, they have a St. Louis Got guy. Yeah, they have Jason Tatum. So I mean, if they win, I'll be happy for I mean, them. That just but... makes me hate him more, though. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's you, but especially the Bruins. Just screw the Bruins. I'm glad they're out of there. That's that's yeah, just no. what I wanted to interject in this entire podcast. Yeah, no one's gonna feel bad for Boston fans being sad. It's uh, it's it's a really good time for the rest of us. That's not something we get to see as often as we should. So, you think the Bruins uh, are a playoff team next year? It it could go either way. I'd hate to doubt them after the season they had and the fact How many that they'll people be bringing doubt back going into this year too. Yeah, they'll be bringing back McAvoy, Pasternak, uh, Marchand, the goalie tandem, Hampus Lindholm. I think they'll be a playoff team, but they could take a step back. They yeah, have a few I guys, mean, there uh, there are some teams that are taking running. big steps forward in their division too. I could definitely see them being a wild card team. I don't see them winning that division next year. Certainly not, but I I do see them being back in the picture again. Yeah, they were not um, they were not the the dominant team they were this year on you know behind the scenes. It was a they were they were getting a lot of good luck, winning a lot of one goal games, that sort of thing. And, not necessarily I mean, the they had Vesna goaltending almost team. every game they played because Swain exactly. and Walmart were outstanding together. Yeah, uh, MVP of the series goes to Matthew Kachuk, though the St. Louis kid. Shout out! Um, yeah, what a monster! Five goals, six assists. He was incredible. He dragged them back into the series almost single handedly. Three so goals, three assists in the last three games too, when they made that comeback. Just absolutely amazing. Yeah, he had the goal game game winner in, in uh, game five in overtime, and then had I believe two goals in game six, and then screened the goalie in game seven. I mean, he just he, he, he really, did it all. He did yep. it all for them for sure. Um. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the second round here, Eric. Uh, before we give our picks and our previews here, I just want to uh, throw this out there, Eric. You're at five and three. I'm at four and four heading into the second round. Plenty of hockey left for this to turn the other way, so don't start celebrating just yet. Absolutely. We're going to start in the West with the Kraken and the Stars. Uh, the Kraken currently up one game to zero in this series after winning a very entertaining game in game so one against the Stars fun. in overtime. Um, Eric, how about you kick us off here and uh, just give me your thoughts on this series? I guess you can uh, include the fact that Seattle's uh, up 1-0 in your analysis right now. I am actually, I'm still going to take the Stars in this series. They lost game one in overtime to the Wild in the last series. They're in pretty familiar situation there. Um, One of the things I was curious about going into this series was the health of Joe Pavelski. And if game one showed us anything, he is perfectly fine. Four goals, four outstanding goals, I might add. (laughs) Um, Just just a hell of a performance from him in game one. It's a real shame they couldn't pull it out for him. Um, 39 years old, or 38 and a lot of <laughs> oldest Oldest player in NHL history to score four goals regular season or playoffs. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think the Stars are better equipped to, to last in this series than the Avalanche were at this point. Um, the the top-end talent on the Stars is not quite as good as it is in Colorado, but they still have a decided advantage over uh, the Kraken's top six. 
Uh, and I think the, the, the stars have a few things. The avalanche did not that help them, uh, especially in this series, kind of, uh, weather the storm here from the Kraken and their, you know, four line approach. And I, and that is that their bottom six is a little better. They are not as injured and they have Jake Ottinger in net, which is much better than any option yes. avalanche had. So, and uh, Otter, the combination of those things will, will get them through in my opinion. Otter struggled early in game one, but after that first period, he played really outstanding for him to keep him in that game and let him come back and force OT. So I think he's going to have some big games out of him too. Yeah. He let in four in the first and there was like, I think there was three goals in like 55 seconds or something. Yeah, just it's, just, it's just a stuff. wild first period. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a couple of deflections, nothing he can do about it. He played fantastic other than, you know, a, a literal 56 second spurt. So yeah. he'll, he'll be fine. I think the stars will be fine as well. Um, anything else you want to add on this series or uh, do we want to move on? I think I'm good there. All right. Uh, before we end it, actually, I want to throw out, I think if, if you can get Dallas minus 110 for the series, I've seen that on some books, that's uh, that's pretty much even money. I'd go ahead and take it. I think yeah. they have a, a much better than 50% chance to win this one. Uh, the Oilers and the Knights is the next one that we are going to talk about here. They are playing right now, I believe, currently in the second period. Uh, pretty good game going on here, 3-2. Last time I checked, the Knights are winning. But this one should be pretty entertaining. This is the uh, the closer of the two in the Western Conference as far as uh, Vegas is concerned. Vegas being the sports books, not Vegas uh, being the Golden Knights. But uh, Edmonton favored for sure, minus 150 versus Vegas is plus 130. But that's uh, that's not a heavy favorite. Either team could easily take this series. Uh, what do you uh, what do you think about this one going in? Hmm? We may have lost Nick Frozen for you, Eric. Yep. We got a frozen Nick. That's all right. He'll join back in about two minutes. If you're if you're at this point in the podcast, make sure you hit up all the social medias at FantasyPod, usually on uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok as well. Check them out all over the place. Uh, also, share with a friend, rate, review, all the good stuff. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Share the love. Yep. Share the love. All right. What do you think about him on the uh, on the Dallas part? Do you like Dallas minus one ten on the series? Yeah, I still like Dallas in that series. Um, really, it does come down to their team depth. I think matches up against Seattle better than the Avalanche did, and then their top end talent. I think by far the two most talented players in the series are Jason Robertson and Rope Hintz, who are two of the first line forwards for Dallas. Um, I think Seattle is. Up and coming, they do have very good team structure. Like I said earlier in our uh, first round review, they come at you in waves, but Dallas is a very similar thing. They have a really deep forward core. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be able to take advantage of Dallas's bottom six like they were able to with Av- with the Avalanche. Um, that being said, I could Seattle's done nothing other than surprise me this year, so I could definitely see this going either way. Yeah, that's fair. I did want to make a point about the uh, the coach that we opened up the podcast with. I did see that on social media over this past weekend, and I f- did not realize it was an NHL coach at first. I had to rewatch it again because I couldn't believe that a professional <laughs> coach was actually doing that. But I think we got Nick back, so I'll let you boys get right back to it. All right, Eric. Uh, we cured those internet demons real quick. Uh, can you give me a, uh, a recap of what you just did? Uh, analyze uh, where we're at uh me and cody were just going back to the dallas seattle series for a moment but we were about to jump into uh vegas and edmonton 
Beautiful. Uh, kick us off. Give me your thoughts. Uh, I like the Oilers in the series. Uh, like we said, game one is going on right now. I think a little bit into the second period, maybe at intermission now. Um, I know Edmonton started one for one on the power play. I'm not sure if they've had any chances since, so that's still on a hot okay. streak. Yeah, exactly. Very on brand. Dry sidle from McDavid, as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about this series, compare, uh, which is different from L.A., I think these teams match up pretty well against each other, like I thought in the first round. But I think it's for different reasons. I think Vegas's forward core doesn't match up against LA's or against Edmonton's quite as well as the Kings did. But on the back end, uh, Vegas has some really, really talented hockey players. I think they're all over six foot and they're all around like 215 pounds. They all can go the entire length of the ice. They play in all three zones very well. I think that if Vegas is going to make this a good series, uh, their goaltending, and then especially Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo are going to need to be the big dogs for them. Yeah, I think they do match up slightly better with Edmonton uh, as opposed to the Kings because of that reason, like you said. Uh, at the end of the day, the Kings' top forwards played really well in the series against yeah. Edmonton, uh, but they won both overtime games and they still lost in six games. So that tells you that they were, you know, their best players are playing really well, but they just their best players were just not as good as Edmonton's best players. And at the end of the day, they won out because Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid kind of carry them there. In this situation, Vegas's best players can possibly slow down Edmonton's best players in a sense, because they are matching up directly with them on the ice. Um, So that might lead to, you know, they just got to hope that Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, like you said, and Alec Martinez play better than uh, the, the top forwards on the Oilers. I would feel better about Vegas if they had a different goaltending situation. Yeah. I've had a lot of injuries there. Laurent Brossois is their goalie. I hope I pronounced that correctly. But he's kind of a career backup journeyman type. So uh, maybe he can, you know, we've seen those guys get hot for a series or yeah. two. But uh, I think he's going to need to steal a game or two for them to, to pull this off. So uh, where do you see this one going? I see it going pretty deep, at least six or seven. Um, I'm actually really excited for Eichel versus McDavid in the playoffs. Uh, I think that's going to be a great time for us. I'm kind of hoping that Eichel steps it up just a little bit and can maybe put on like a, a little bit of a show with that 1v1. Um, I really, really do like Edmonton in this series just because like I think one thing that they've kind of started, and the Leafs actually have adopted it, they've started to go 11-7, and seven, so 11 forwards with 7-D, and that allows them to double-shift Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl a lot. So when you can get those really superstar players, even more ice time, it just bodes well for you. I think it played a very big role in them beating L.A. They, were allowed, they managed to get Leon Dreisaitl and McDavid onto the ice a lot, and it really paid dividends for them. I think Toronto is starting to go a similar way, and I think it's going to pay off for them as well. Yeah, never a bad thing uh, when you you know can get your best players on the ice more, especially if you're you know not ending that with them you know getting beat up or injured. Uh, I guess that's kind yeah. of the drawback at the end of the day. But when you're talking about a twenty game sample, you know you can you can do that for a month yeah. or two just to obviously get to where you need to go in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So. Uh, I think it'll be a good series, but I agree with you. I think the Oilers do wrap it up. They just have the better high-end talent. And uh, Vegas's goalie situation doesn't give me enough confidence to say I think they could be you know, slowed down in a seven-game series. 
my best bet was, I, I want to throw this out there, even if the people won't believe me, it was Vegas to win game one. They're currently winning. And then Oilers to win the series at plus 330. You can't get it anymore. Uh, but, you know, just, I, I just want to throw that into the ethos. want to take that bet. <laughs> yeah, if I want to throw that into the ethos if it ends up happening, just so uh, you know, I can get some credit for it, maybe. But uh, anything else to add on this series, Eric? Uh, nope. Let's jump over to the Eastern Conference. This is the closest series, according to the books in Vegas, uh, coming in at least. The Devils favored uh, just slightly at minus one thirty. The Carolina Panthers at plus one ten to win the series. So Carolina basically, a coin flip. Uh, are you surprised at all that Carolina, the uh, the winners of the Metropolitan Division, are the slight uh, underdogs in this series to the Young Devils? I am a little bit surprised, despite the fact that I'm taking the Devils. Um, the reason I'm surprised is because I think Carolina does a lot of the things that New Jersey does really well, but they just bring a little bit more experience, and I really think that their back end is more balanced. I think that the Devils back end is really fast and they do provide a lot of good stuff in the offensive zone, especially Dougie Hamilton and the sorts. But when you have a guy like Jacob Slavin, who is, in my opinion, one of the top three defensemen in the NHL, he does everything right. He doesn't make mistakes. He's great in the breakout. He can play on the power play. I think that their defensive depth is going to be what takes them over the, uh, her, or over the devil or what could take them over the devils. However, on the flip side of that, I'm taking the devils because <laughs> A little confusing there. I'm taking the Devils because their forward core, I mean, Jack Hughes has been absolutely having a coming out party. I love the kid. And then other than that, Nico Heischer is outstanding. I think they really do have the superior center depth in this series, especially considering that um, Sebastian Ajo got a little bit dinged up in that first round. Had to get some stitches in the face. I imagine that that's still stinging a little bit. Yeah, um, I I can't really argue with you on paper. I think the Devils um, are going to be a tough matchup for the Hurricanes. Uh, again, we don't really like to look at regular season matchups at all in the playoffs, but the only time that I will occasionally uh, glance their way is if they're within the last month of the season because both these teams were back and forth to win the division for the last month. So they were, you know, they were playing hard they were playing all their guys towards the end of the year mm-hmm. there was a lot to play for and new jersey took them to school twice in the month of march uh they won 3-0 and 4-1 in two separate games one at home and one on the road so uh they were kind of coming into their own at the end of the year i am going to stick with the hurricanes though again uh, it's going to seem like i'm just playing off of them being up 1-0 right now but i did have the hurricanes before the season started or excuse me before the series started I think it just comes down to the fact that I cannot go chalk on all of these series. And I think I'm going to have to take one underdog. This is the only one I could see it happening because Carolina's defensive uh, core is just so good. And they could could grind out some 2-1, 3-2 wins. I think they're probably more comfortable playing that style of game than the Devils are if they aren't able to open it up. So uh, I will take the Hurricanes in the series. Uh, and they have a 1-0 lead, so it makes me feel pretty good on uh, catching up to you. This is the actually this is the only series I can make up ground on you in because we agree on the other three. So yeah, <laughs> uh, this one has to go my way. Uh, do you have anything else to add on this one? Um, just one more thing. I really do like the coaching matchup in this series. Rob Brindamore and Lindy Ruff. Devils fans, I think, in like the first three games of the season, were trying to get Lindy Ruff fired. Oh, how yes, far they they've were. come. Right. <laughs> and then they started chanting, sorry, Lindy, like halfway through the season. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really like that coaching matchup. Um, I think they're actually like 
fairly different style coaches. Lindy Ruff, from what I understand, is a little bit more laid back. Rob Brindamore is very intense and maybe in the gym more than any of his players, from what I've heard. But uh, I think they both know how to get a lot out of their teams, and I think it's going to be fun seeing them go head-to-head. Funny that you mentioned that because uh, Lindy Ruff would probably be more of the – he's he's definitely an older guy, uh, mid, mid-60s maybe. Uh, the more traditional, like, you know, serious hockey, old school kind of guy, but he's the laid back one. And then Rod Brindamore, he is younger. He played, you know, hockey in the NHL within the last 10 to 15 years. So you would think he'd be the, you know, more laid back player friendly type, but it, it goes the opposite way a little bit. So will be an interesting matchup for sure. Uh, hopefully Carolina can pull that out and even me up with Eric heading into the semifinals. All right, Eric, let's uh, jump to the last series here. Another one where there is unfortunately already a game played. That is the Panthers versus the Maple Leafs. The uh, The Panthers are slight favorites now in this series after taking game one. Uh, we both had the Leafs before the series started. Eric, are you sticking with them or are you jumping ship? I am going to stick with the Leafs here. Um They've actually, they've bounced back pretty well, even in past years. It's once they get the lead in the series that they've crumbled in the past. So um, I still like the Leafs going forward. I think that their top end skill eventually is going to overtake the Panthers. I know we've talked about that. They match up fairly well, but outside of Matthew Kachuk, I just really do like the top end talent on the Maple Leafs quite a bit more than Florida. Yeah, we uh, we discussed this before the pod started, but they uh, their their top players really match up pretty seamlessly across the board, uh, just on like a personal level. Kachuk and Matthews match up really well together. They're both top five players. They're both American wingers. Yeah. Uh, Matthews is a center, but they both you know they're both goal scorers. They play similar styles. Marner versus uh, Mitch Marner on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Alexander Barkov on the Panthers, very perennially underrated, but they both play great two way games, but also score eighty to ninety points a yeah. year. Carter Verhage, another first-line player for the Panthers, and John Tavares on the Maple Leafs. Uh, they are both, you know, ideal number two centers on good teams. And then uh, William Nylander on the Leafs and Sam Reinhart on the Panthers. Again, just good scoring wingers on uh, dominant second lines that uh, are good support for both sides. So they match up very seamlessly. But at the end of the day, the Toronto Maple Leafs have the advantage on the edges of their roster, especially on the defensive side. So I think yeah. that is why I will stick with them to take this one uh, eventually as well, maybe a little longer than I originally thought. But if you can get to- Toronto at plus 100 to win the series, uh, it's even money right now, I would go ahead and grab that. You have anything else to add on the uh, Leafs and Panthers, Eric? Um, one other thing, I, I would maybe look at throwing a Brandon Montour, Con Smythe vote out there if Florida wins this series. He has been absolutely unbelievable. We were talking about his regular season stats earlier, but, um, not only did he like triple his point production in the regular season, he went from like 40 penalty minutes career high to like 130 this year. He was just so more involved in every aspect of the game this year. Yeah, I think they they really put him in a you know a top four, top two type role that he had not really been in before. His average yeah. time on ice uh, was four or five minutes higher than it had ever been before mm-hmm. uh, before the season. So that helps to explain his you know jump in point production as well as the and then scoring across the league better. has also been up. And I think yeah. he's been one of the players that has really uh, benefited from that as well. One hundred percent, Eric. Uh, all right, before we get out of here. 
Let's go ahead and give uh, a couple minutes on the draft lottery. Your Chicago Blackhawks and my St. Louis Blues are both heavily interested. One side maybe even slightly more interested. Um, Eric, uh, where would you be happy landing? You guys are at three right now. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the NHL lottery, you can move uh, down two, as many as two spots. So Eric, Eric's Blackhawks could end up at five. They could also end up at one. Two, three, four. Uh, they could be anywhere in between. So, uh, how high will you have to be before you are satisfied? I, obviously, I would love Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli. However, I have said this to some of my other friends: if we end up picking three and go with Mitchkov, it kind of forces you into a longer-term rebuild. And I think that one of the only like. One of the worst things teams that are rebuilding can do is try to rush it. So when you push those young players into the NHL and try to force them into a top role really quickly, it can really hurt their development. So I think the only upside of drop of not moving up, not even dropping down, of staying in that three spot is it really does kind of uh, force you into a longer-term rebuild because you aren't getting that player immediately. I think uh, uh, Matvey Mitchkov is committed to his KHL team through 2025 or 26. Yeah, he's got a couple years. He's going to have to stay in the Russian League. Uh, For those of you who do not know, Connor Bedard is a generational prospect. Uh, If you've ever heard of Connor McDavid, he is the best player in the NHL. Uh, Connor Bedard is widely regarded as the best prospect since uh, McDavid, and that was uh, a good seven or eight years ago. So it's been a while, and uh, he is going to be fantastic franchise altering center. And then uh, the other guy Eric mentioned, uh, or the other two guys, I guess, Adam Fantilli, another guy that would be normally a number one pick most years without a generational prospect, but he would be a franchise changer. And then the last guy, Matt V. Mitchkov from the uh, KHL. He's over in Russia. That is part of the reason his situation is complimented. Uh, there's geopolitical issues and there's the fact that he is signed to a professional deal for two years because yeah. uh, they don't have a junior league in the uh, the Russian you know, sphere. So, um, And they're all fantastic. All three of them would normally be number one picks, but they just happen to be yeah. in the same draft year. So uh, that's, that's what he's alluding to. Top three is really what you're looking at there. There's a fourth guy, Leo Carlson, that a lot of people would be happy with, but the top three is really where the gems are. Yeah, he's, so. he's a little bit lower than the other three, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I'm just praying to God that the Blues steal one of those spots from you. It would make me happier than anything. I could, uh, you know, I this this really terrible season would almost feel okay just because of that. How does that make you feel? I think that we should pick one, and you guys should pick, like, yeah, honestly, you guys should just trade all your first-round picks for, like, Dion Phaneuf. Um, yeah, I think we're just gonna, we'll be one, you can be five, and, uh, we'll be happy with that. How does, no, that's not right. five. Five is, like, the worst case scenario. I, I'm gonna be real upset if we drop to five. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. All right, yeah. Gotten, Do you have anything else luck. to add, uh, about the draft lottery or anything else, uh, playoff-wise? Nothing to add. Uh, we will, uh, be coming at you with a... Semi-final preview when that happens. Uh, it'll be about two weeks from now. Again, the NHL playoffs are not finite, so we have to wait on these series to end, and the schedule will be uh, you know, uh, attacked accordingly. But uh, we'll do our best to get that preview out before the series starts. For those of you who don't know, this is take two for us. So we, uh, yeah. we did an entire podcast last night. Audio didn't come through. That's my bad. Uh, but uh, otherwise, we would have had this out today for you. So we apologize for the delay. Yeah, but I just love hanging out with the lads, so I'm happy to be here. 
yeah, Eric was uh, he was in here ten minutes early, so we got to give him some credit. He's been a fantastic addition to the team. Uh, Cody, do you have any parting words for the people? Uh, fearless producer here today, usually on the uh, the fantasy football pod. Shout out to Cody. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. I gotta say, you should uh, you should also make some runs with us on the uh, on the football podcast because the stats you brought to the hockey side of things I thought were very interesting, and uh, I I enjoyed that quite a bit. So kudos to you, and yeah, shout out to the boys for uh, knocking this out two nights in a row. <laughs> that's, that's some dedication. Love to see it. So if you have not already, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, all the good stuff. Follow us on all the socials, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, let's get out of here, boys. Peace out. Yeah. Awesome. Be, uh, see ya. We'll see you soon.